just a little bit there. No biggie. But yeah, as Charity was saying, we are in the midst of summer. And if your family is anything like ours, we have been, uh, let me just say, rather adventurous. And for me, it might be a little bit too adventurous. But when your wife is an extrovert as much as mine, she likes to get out as often as we can. So almost every weekend that we've had available, every Saturday, we've been going on different trips around the state. The, some of the things that have incentivized that are... Um, our wonderful, well, my wonderful uh, sister-in-law has been staying with us for the summer, and it's her first time in the Northwest, so we've been kind of helping her explore, see the area. But also last year when we first got out here for the summer, I mean, we're in the midst of COVID, things are closed down, so it's really our first time to go out, fully see kind of what's going on out here. We've gone up to Seattle, down through Portland, and just yesterday we had a fun trek out to the beach. We've already been out to the beach before, but the thing that made this one so exciting and unique is it was the first time we were taking the pup out to the beach. If you want to show a little picture of Zoe, this is my little girl. I know, proud dad moment. My puppy is only eight months old and she is the best. She has not been near any water though. She hasn't been to the beach and so this was a unique thing that we got to experience with her. We get her all the way out there. We take her to the beach thinking there's going to be a fun day. Uh, greatness is going to happen, right? Genuinely, we have no idea what's going to happen. We have the long leash. We have some towels, and we're like, I hope that's enough. We got some toys for her. I have no idea how she's going to react, how she's going to react to the water. The most water that she's had is the water that fills up the tub when we give her a bath, and that's not much. And so we're like, this is going to be a journey. This is going to be something a little bit different. So we get out there. The first thing she does, she gets down the stairs, and she starts to bury her nose, starts to run around in the sand. She's loving it. We're going a little bit further down the beach. We still have her on the leash. She's testing out the water, you know, so we'll step into the water, then a wave will crash in, the dog will run back and go, okay, that wasn't too bad. We'll try it out a little bit more. We get a little bit further down the beach and I start saying to Hannah, say, you know what? I think she'll be fine off leash. I, I, think, I think we can do this. I think we can make it happen. And so we, Hannah's like, no, no, let's keep it on for a little bit longer. We get a little bit further down, not as many people around. I was like, she's not pulling much. She's just chasing her ball. She'll be fine. We'll get, we could throw the ball that way. She doesn't get caught up in her leash or anything. And she's like, no, are you sure? I'm, I'm like, yeah, what's the worst that could happen? <laughs> I feel like every parent, I'm not a parent, I have a dog, uh, has said those words and learned to regret it as I very much did. I reached down bend over to uh, remove the leash. I take it off. I have my hand. I let it go. And Zoe just looks at us, looks down at her ball, looks back at us, and she's gone. Literally in an instant. And she was gone straight towards the water. Three hops and she's in. And at this point, she's floating in the water. She has no idea what she's doing. She's trying to doggy paddle. My wife in an instant. I mean, without a blink of an eye, she's in the water to get this dog out. <laughs> Hannah is fully waist deep in this water, trudging out to get Zoe out of the water, bring her back to me so I can hook her back up and go, ah, that didn't work out, did it? <laughs> yes, this is our little girl afterwards. She had a blast. Let's just say for the rest of the time, the leash was on. Maybe another trip, we'll try it out. Maybe she gets a little bit better, we'll see. <laughs> but yeah, she's soaking wet at this point and it's just kind of what happened for us yesterday. But I share this, and this kind of hit me yesterday. I, I, I love the concept here of how often we're, we're very much like my dog Zoe. We're going about our life, and we see something shiny. We see something different, and our mind goes completely. I don't know about you, but I, I've, I've learned to describe that me and my wife have two very different minds. 
I'm very much of a linear thinker. I will get set on something and I will see it through and then go to the next thing. My wife is very much like a squirrel mind. <laughs> anything that comes into peripheral, anything that she hears different, she will hit on it and bounce from one thing to the next. And so often, like, I mean, I mean, that can be like us in our faith. We're going about our everyday life, right? And yet we see something shiny. We see something attractive. We see something that smells good, looks good, could be anything. I'm going to run after it. I'm going to chase it. And let me just show you where the metaphor doesn't go. God doesn't have us on a leash. Let me just say that first and foremost. As much as, like, I, I love to take my dog on walks on a leash, she sometimes tugs. She wants to get into something. It's like, oh, Zoe, please don't get in that. I gave you a bath literally 20 minutes ago. This will be your third day in three. Like, we've given her three baths in the last three days. It's okay. It happens when you have a dog sometimes. But so often, as we're going about life, things catch our eye. Things catch our attention. Things make us want to go and chase after it. And so often... I think one of the things that we can do is when we go and we pursue something, we chase it down, we often expect God to just kind of truck along and follow along with us. God, I'm going way over here. I expect you to be with me. It's almost like the little angel that you see in some of like the old cartoon shows of God on the shoulder. God, wherever I'm going, you're going, right? And yet, as much as God does go with us, just because he goes with you doesn't mean he's condoning and approving of the action in what you're doing. As much as I'm going to run and chase down my dog when my dog decides she's going to go waist deep in water and not even know if she's going to make it back because there's a big wave coming and that dog has never, has never swam in her life before, I'm always going to run after her. I'm going to chase her down. I'm going to pick her up. Even if that means, hey, the car ride home does not smell the best. Just because the backpack gets thrown off as my wife goes and runs, chase down the dog, and then a wave comes and catches the backpack, and it's like, well, so much for the towels that were in that backpack. <laughs> no matter what, God is very much like us as parents. He's concerned. He loves us. He will always chase us down, but he's not going to force us back. He's not going to make the decision for us. He's not going to push you on a leash and drag you back in. No, God is consistently there with an open hand, though. Amen. And this is the story that we begin to get here with the Israelites. As they're going through this book in Numbers, we've been talking about I feel bad that this book gets the name Numbers because a lot of us just want to not read it because it's like, man, is this just a, a big, long list? Yeah, the first chapter is. You get past that, it gets a little bit better. But really, a better name for this is The Journey in the Wilderness. Israel has been spending a year outside of when they left Egypt. They spent a year at Mount Sinai. And now it's finally time for them to go to the promised land in which God has told them that they are going to go to. God has made this promise, this covenant with them. says, hey, your family's going to expand. And we've already seen this happening. And the next part of this promise, this covenant that's going to be fulfilled, is, hey, we're going to go to the promised land. And as soon as they begin this journey, they not even a couple days in, do you begin to complain and mumble. It's like when you get on that road trip and in an instant someone's got a piece, someone forgot something. Oh, my phone's not charged all the way. Oh, my charger's not working. The next time we stop at a gas station, I need to get one because my charger's not working. It's, it's the constant complaining and murmuring of, hey, why can't we already just be there? Why didn't we fly? Why didn't we get there faster? Dad, speed up. Like, let's get there already to have the progress done without going through the process. And that's very much what we're seeing in Israel right here. And I, I love it. We get to this story, and when we begin to read in 13, it says that Moses and God 
are basically sending forth these spies to go check out the land of Canaan to see, is it good? Who's there? What's it look like? But the interesting thing is, I'm going to give you a little bit of a foreshadowing. You get to Deuteronomy, first chapter of Deuteronomy, a little bit later on in the story, in the progression. And what you begin to find out what actually happened was it was the people who said, hey, we should send out spies to go check out the land. This wasn't Moses' idea. This wasn't God's idea to go send spies out to check out the land. God knew it was good. God said, this is the promised land I am sending you to. And yet the people said, is it that good, though? Can it really be that nice? What, what's actually going on there? We, we want to know before we even get there. So not even halfway through their journey, they said, is this really worth the trek to get there? Is this really worth what we are enduring right now? Is that place actually going to be a land flowing with milk and honey? Is it going to be that good? Are we going to have to experience hardship to get there in when we get there? And so the people stir this up within, and Moses goes along with it. Moses goes along and says, yeah, that's not a bad idea. Let's go check it out and see if it's any good. So they send out the spies to go and check out the land. They go and they look at it. They come back, and after their journey, what do they say? They say, yeah, it's a wonderful place. Overflowing with milk and honey is wonderful. But the classic, the classic, but, but God, there's a lot of people who dwell in this land, and they look pretty strong. Actually, so strong that, that one, of the, uh, one of the tribes that live there are the Anak tribe, which are known as some of the most fierce warriors, large men in their world. And they go, God, I, I, I know you're faithful to your promises. You've given us water. You've given us food. You've got us out of Egypt. But can we overcome these people? But God, the cities, they look so fortified. They look so large. God, there's already someone there. What are we going to do? God, there's no room for us there. What, what's going to happen when we get there? They begin to mumble. They begin to complain a little bit more. They begin to doubt God's ability to get them into the promised land in which he has set forth for them. And so in this complaining and in this mourning period in which they go in of fear and um, disgruntlement that is going through the community, they begin to question, God, why don't you just make it easy for us? God, why did it have to be so far away? Why couldn't the promised land have been like a day's journey? Or God, why, like, why haven't we already been there? God, why does there have to be people there already? God, why can't this just be easy? They begin to blame God for their problem, for the problems in which they see in front of them. And they begin to allow their feelings of unbelief and fear to rule their hearts rather than faith. Rather than faith that the God who's been providing their food, God who's been providing their drink, who's been providing for them, the God who is appearing to them in a cloud, a pillar, and fire, who is going along and showing them their direction. They go, God, you've done so much for me, but can you do that also? God, can you continue to do this? God, I don't know. It's always the uncertainty beyond what we can understand, what we can see, what we can experience that makes us question, makes us doubt. And God allows them to reap this unbelief, this consequence that they get for stepping out of line, basically saying, God, we're not going. You get 10 out of the 12 spies who come back and say, I don't think we can do this. The nation of Israel goes, we're not going. What if we go somewhere else, God? 
Maybe there's somewhere else that's better and maybe a little bit easier to get to. Maybe it might not be as good, but it might be easier to get set into. Isn't that the, always the case? It might be easier, but not as good. So we'll do that because it's easier. Path of least resistance. And so God, allowing them to reap this, Moses comes and intercedes on behalf of Israel. And what you begin to see is as Moses cries out, as the two other spies who are representing their nation, two, two of the ten, uh, two of the twelve come and say, God, I, I think we can do this. We should follow what God is calling us to. You see that there's still hope in Israel, but it's masked by the massive amount of unbelief and distrust in who God is. And so they become exiled to the wilderness for the next 40 years until the last of the unbelieving generation is gone. And it is once that this consequence is delved out, once the consequence is revealed, Israel begins to backtrack. They go, oh, wait, God, are, so that's what's going to happen if we don't go. Well, we can go. Yeah, we can go. We can go anyways. The thing that I, I've, I, I haven't read in this in a long time, and I was reading this week, and it, there's almost this level of like kind of laughter that came out in this moment where it's like, oh, you boneheads kind of thing. Because Israel had the opportunity to go and go into the promised land with God, and they chose not to. And so God removes himself from the equation. And once they begin to see the consequences for their actions and what they chose to do, that they backtrack and they said, oh, then we'll do it. Why didn't you do it the first time? And so they go to this land. They go up and they don't even get into the land. It says they get up on the, the hill just outside of it. And the nations that are occupying this land, they see them. And they kick their butt to the curb. They, they come out, they smack them around a little bit. And Israel goes back and they have to spend their time in the wilderness. But I imagine that the heart that God has in this moment, this heart that uh, for the same, I, I, I see the heart that my wife has for our dog who goes, runs and jumps into the ocean with no life jacket, no experience swimming, nothing, going beyond what we know that they can handle. And there's just this sadness, this just longing, this love that comes over God when he sees his people go and do something. God knows it's not going to work out for them. You know, sometimes we, we can look at Israel and we go, Israel, why would you do this? It's often easy to bash on Israel, especially when they have the, the promises, the, uh, the miracles, the examples right in front of them. Tangibly, they have the pillar of fire and smoke. God has provided uh, manna, quail, time and time again. God performed all of this in Egypt for them. They've seen who God is and the promises that he will keep true. And yet there is still doubt and unbelief and distrust that can overtake one's heart when you allow the seed to be planted. And so often we are exactly like that. And too often we can look at Israel and go, why wouldn't, like, why wouldn't you follow God and trust him fully with the signs that you had and discount and say, well, we don't have a pillar of fire and smoke. We don't have X, Y, and Z in our life. And yet we have God's holy word that is revealed to us. God is alive and present with us through his Holy Spirit. God is tangibly with us just like he was with Israel. Actually, God's closer to us now than he was with Israel. With Israel, he was able to be in the center tent of their camp, their community. They probably had a million some people at this point that is just surrounding this one tent where God's presence was. And now God's Holy Spirit is alive in me 
it's alive in Peggy, it's alive in each and every one of you around this room who allow Jesus to come into your heart. The Holy Spirit is with us. God has revealed himself, made himself known, and wants to be in relationship with you. And even in that, we all have our moments where the fear, the unbelief, the distrust, the lack of confidence, the insecurity, they hinder our ability to follow Jesus in our everyday life. We see something, we say, God, there's, there's no way I can do that. I'm just not as qualified. I'm not good enough to be able to do that. God, this is going to be tough. There's going to be stress. It's going to push me, and I, I don't like to be pushed. I like to be comfortable. I like to take the easy road, least resistance, right? And often this is how we allow our faith to be determined. And we kind of step back just like Israel does. We step back and then we reap the consequence of not taking the step out in faith, of going off on our own track and expecting God to follow along with us. God's going to continue to follow along with you. <laughs> I love you, Bree. But the thing that we see and the thing that I love about community is it, as I was reading this, as I was praying, as I was processing, I really think there was two things that became overwhelming that I've been taught and encouraged over time that I want to share with you that I, th I think will help in developing this level of faith in the midst of, in the midst of fear, of distrust, of something that looks far too grand and big to take a step out in. The two best things that I've ever been encouraged. One is your own personal relationship with Jesus. And a way I've heard this described is a core of four, of understanding that we have a triune God, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, who have always been in existence, who created together. And it's them out of their relationship and their love and their community, desire for it overwhelmingly that they created us. And they want us to be in that community, in that relationship with you. And so when we at Generation say, you're not alone, you're not forgotten, and your story matters. We mean that because it is true from the beginning. We're not meant to be alone. God does not forget you. Your story does matter to them. And then the second piece is this concept of biblical community, where we're able to come together around each other as we follow Jesus in our everyday life. We have a journey ahead of us. Each and every one of us has a different path that we go on. We come from different places, and we're going to different places as well. But as we're in community with one another, we're able to encourage, equip, care for one another, support each other in any way. And it's, we do this out of the outflowing of our core four, our relationship with God, that we're able to do this with one another. Now, the beautiful thing about biblical community is that we can tangibly walk with each other when we have those moments when we go, God, I don't know the right decision to make. God, I've lost my job, and I don't know what's next. God, I, I have this struggle going on with my family. Um, father's gone. Sibling issue. We, I don't know what to do next, God. God, my spouse has left. God, I'm worried about my kids. I don't know what is next for me. And it's a biblical community that can come together, that can support, love, and encourage, and be the tangible expression, the love and grace that God has, who goes in and wades waist deep and is there with us to pull us back. One of the, 
I'm going to share uh, an illustration with you. Richard, I know you got a video back there, but I want you guys to think about this. As we're going on our journey, many of us sometimes don't know the right way to go. Sometimes we don't know the right decisions to make. Sometimes we're sitting there and we think we have it right in our own head, and yet sometimes we can be a little bit too, we can be a little bit too um, determined in our own mind to be able to listen to the person next to us and understand that God speaks through them just as much as God is speaking to me. Rich, will you play a video real quick? Proceed straight. Well, we're 0 for 6. Last chance is at Elmhurst Country Club. The other side of the lake on the southeast side. Oh, get it. I really don't get it. How this works. See, everything I heard of that guy is nothing. That's how it goes sometimes, you know. You lose everything, everything falls apart, and eventually you die and no one remembers you. I think it's very difficult to do. Make a right turn. Wait, 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 wait. No, 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 no. It means bear right. No, Up there. It said right. So take a right. No, 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 look. It, it means go up to the right, bear right, over the bridge, and hook up with Carissa. Make a right Maybe it's turn. a shortcut for you. It said go to the right. It can't mean that. There's well, a right there. Right. Nikki knows where Straight. it is going. This is the the machine knows. This is the Stop yelling at me. No, it's not Stop yelling. yelling. There's no road here. Remain calm. I have trained for this. Okay. Exit the window. Here we go. Make a U-turn, if possible. <laughs> so often in our own lives, we can be heading for disaster. We're making wrong choices, and it takes a subtle, subtle message from a friend, someone who loves us and cares for us, to say, hey, I don't know if you know what you're saying communicates this. Or, hey, maybe the things in what you're doing, I've, I've noticed this habit or this thing going on. I don't know if you've noticed this going on in your life, or hey, let me just pray with you about this next decision you're going to make. The thing I love about Dwight in this video, he's trying to help Michael navigate here. And his GPS is saying, veer right. And Michael's like, turn right? Dwight's like, no, veer right. And Michael turns right into the lake, and he didn't listen to his friend and reaps the consequences. But in this moment, you see Dwight in an instant. Hops out the window, goes to save Michael, not to save himself, I just want to say. People <laughs> laugh at Dwight and everything, but you know, Dwight's a real friend here. But this is what I mean by biblical community. Someone who will go alongside you, who will sit in that shotgun seat with you and say, hey, I don't know where this journey is going to take us. I don't know where God's leading us to next, but I am along for the ride with you. And in generations, we have this, this value, spirit over self, where in our everyday life, we put God's purposes and priorities ahead of our own as we daily depend on him where we live, work, and play. We allow ourselves to be transformed by the Spirit. 
having our character and priorities shaped by who Jesus is that determines how we speak, how we respond, the ways in which we live, the life decisions in which we make. And when things begin to look big, they look crazy, they look super audacious, and it's like, God, how is, how is this going to work out? God, where do I go next? We're able to turn to God who is constantly with us, ready to wade into the deep to pull us out of the mess that we are in and to be around family. Truly, when we say a generation, a family, a family community that loves one another the way in which God has shown us love. It is out of this faithful community that we're able to be a family of God, personally and collectively pursuing God in our everyday life, everywhere we are, where we're able to come alongside each other, support, encourage, and care for one another. And this is the type of community that God is calling us to and wants us to be a part of with us. Will you all pray with me? Father, I am I'm astonished by who you are. The character in which you show us of a God who, despite us time and time again just running away, God, you are constantly pursuing us. God, that is the type of God that you are, is that you will never, you will never, you will never give up on us. There's no such thing as being too far gone, no too far difficult decision to make. God, even when... <laughs> Even when we're stubborn, even when we put our foot in the ground, we begin to distrust. God, you are still there and present with us, showing us love and mercy. You're ready to constantly pick us up, to care for us like a father does. God, I am grateful for that. I pray that as a community, as a collective family, that God, we can begin to live that out in our own everyday lives. Whoever we engage with, whoever we encounter, God, no matter where they come from, their story, what is going on? That God, we can begin to live out the love in which we see in Jesus. Allow his characters and priorities to overtake our desires, our, uh, what we see with our mind. But God, no, it is you. It is you. It is you. Your Holy Spirit's alive and present with us. Not just here on Sunday. Monday, Tuesday, every day of the week, God, you are there. I pray that we're able to know that and to see that. And when things become uh, to be too big, too large, that God, you remind us, hey, I'm with you. This isn't too big for me. I've got you. God, speak that to us time and time again that you have promised us that you will never leave us and allow us to continue to rely and trust, have faith in that and live that expression out in our community to see our family expand. Father, it's in your son's name that we pray. Thank you.